writers, I'm excited to bring Nick Anderson Bynes on the podcast today. He is the English coach for copywriters, helping second language copywriters skyrocket their careers by teaching the English they actually need fast. And one of my most watched videos on YouTube is tips to become a copywriter as a non-native English speaker. Some of you may or may not know I've spoken about this, but I did have a brief stint as an ESL instructor in Manhattan. So I know that my ESL writers will gain a ton of value from this conversation. If you're new here, I'm Christine. I teach writers how to build their freelance writing business from scratch by landing high paying clients on LinkedIn. So welcome, Nick. Thank you for coming on today. And how are you doing? Yeah, thanks for thanks for inviting me on, Christine. I'm doing very well, thanks. Good to be here. So awesome. I'm excited for this conversation. Tell me a bit about your story and how you got into mentoring ESL copywriters. Okay, cool. Well, the first thing I will say, and I'll use this podcast to kind of clarify this point, is that I am not a copywriter. I'll just say that now. I'm not a copywriter. If anyone on LinkedIn is listening to me, uh, I'm just confirming this as well. I'm not a copywriter and I'm not a copywriting coach. Okay, so I'm an English coach for copywriters. And how I got here is kind of by accident, actually, because I, first of all, was a disenfranchised English teacher working for ESL companies and, in, and schools. And I wanted to take my first steps into entrepreneurship by going out and finding clients, much like a, much like a freelance copywriter. I was looking for clients on all the social media channels and I enrolled on a short course to help me do that. And the overarching, the overarching principle of the course was to obviously find a niche, which I know that's something that you are a huge advocate on, is to find a niche and become a specialist. And my first niche was journalists. I branded myself as an English coach for journalists, but then I soon realized that every person who called themselves a journalist on LinkedIn or Facebook wasn't actually a journalist, because <laughs> in some way, anyone can say they're a journalist if they've written something, okay? So I was, so my market feedback was very kind of muddy. I wasn't sure who I was actually talking to when I was reaching out to people. But then what I realized was eventually that most of the people that, that were interested and engaging with me were content writers. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I started to understand what a content writer was because, I mean, in some ways it's self-explanatory, but, but I wanted to know more about what it was they did. And then over time, I was focusing in on, you know, who is my niche? And the word copywriter kept on coming up over and over again. I was like, copywriter, copywriter, what's going on? What's going on? And I got more acceptances and from more invites from copywriters more than anyone. And I thought, okay, I need to understand copywriting. And again, I, you know, I was one of those people who actually didn't really get what copywriting was for a very, very long time. I was one of those schmucks who, who think that it was something to do with law or copyright. I've got friends who I still have to explain this to. No, 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 no. It's nothing to do with copyright. It's copywriting. So then I actually did a course in copywriting and I was like, wow, I probably should have been a copywriter. And then I basically fused my, my, two, my two loves, which is to actually teach English and the English language and the art of persuasion and connection through words. So that's how I became an English coach for copywriters or the English coach for copywriters, because I'm not quite sure if anyone else does it. But over, the, over the last year, year and a half, 
I, I have made it my, my full-time um, job and I've mostly been helping copywriters from all over the world, you know, Russian copywriters living in Australia, Swedish copywriters living in, L in LA, German copywriters, copywriters at advertising agencies, copywriting freelancers, marketers, brand specialists from pretty much all over now. And it's been great fun and I love copywriters. So, so it's, it's been a real pleasure. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't think I've met anyone who actually, I mean, I've seen many ESL coaches online having their online business, but nobody that specializes in copywriting. So I think you definitely nailed your niche. And I think that the people who gravitate towards copywriting are pretty motivated people. They in some sense are following the money because like you and like a lot of people, I didn't really understand what copywriting was either. And still to this day, nobody in my life really knows what copywriting is. So it's funny when I meet someone for the first time or, you know, meeting someone in a bar, like I need that elevator pitch to explain what I do. I literally yeah. just say, Hey, you know, the words on a website, I write those. <laughs> yeah. 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 I actually had this conversation yesterday with my housemate said, Oh yeah, I'm going on this, this podcast to talk about, you know, to just talk about my job and stuff like that. And I said, what kind of podcast is it? I said, well, it's, it's a copywriting podcast. And then my housemate said to me, well, can you just tell me what is a copywriter? And I was like, okay. So someone sat down in a chair and said to themselves one day, Nike, just do it. And they wrote it down and they said, there you go. And that was like my, my way of explaining it. And I was like, ah, okay, thank you. And they, and they were so thankful. They were so thankful that I finally told them what that was because in a way it had just been floating in their psyche for like, you know, for probably years, copywriter, copywriter, what's a copywriter? Yeah. 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 I think that's so common. I'm, I'm definitely going to use that Nike example next time because that does <laughs> probably immediately give people clarity. Exactly. Um, my question for you is why or when would a copywriter have to write in a second language, considering that there's so many job ads out there that explicitly say native only? This is a really, really good question. And I hope that it can, my answer can demystify this whole you know, subject because many native copywriters tell me, why are you teaching second language copywriters? I didn't, I didn't know that there was a market for that. But if you think about it, and you could fact check me here if, if, if you want, but there are, there are probably more non-native copywriters than there are native copywriters, but there's more work in English than there is work that is not in English. So if you think about it, it's tipped in the balance of people writing in English who aren't native, okay? So that's, and you could fact check me there. But, but it seems pretty obvious and pretty clear that that's the case. And from, from what I do each day, I, I know that this is the case. That's my feeling. But so if I can break it down, there are many categories of kinds of people who would find themselves working in English when they're not a native speaker. First of all, you've got freelancers. OK, and as a freelancer in general, you could of course, you can, of course, be the cheaper and more time saving option for a small company, if you come from a country where it is a bit cheaper to hire you, even though the, the, the English, the, the quality of the English is slightly lower, they will still feel incentivized to hire you. And if you can get those clients, you better just keep hold of them because that's, that's a huge win. Because, you know, let's not forget that some, some, some of these particular countries 
have extraordinarily high levels of English, you know, like Nigeria, Pakistan, India. So this is why copywriting is in some sense exploding in these places right now, because the autonomy of working remotely as a freelancer is so much easier now in growing sub-Saharan or Asian economies. So that's the first thing, it's the freelancer, yeah? Who, who can speak English very, very well and can persuade very well and, and who's probably social media savvy, okay? Then, then you would have freelancers in Western countries. These could be advertisers, marketers, brand, brand strategists. And what small businesses like about these guys is that they speak their own language. So if I'm a small business owner from France, okay, a lot of the, a lot of the time these these business owners would want a copywriter who speaks their language okay so that they can actually communicate with them while also knowing that they can communicate their brand to the world with you know well with great english as well and that's actually a preference so i hope that this answer actually encourages people as well to say that no this is happening right now and you can do it and then of course you know you'll get um and we'll get into this later because I know that this is your whole sphere, but having a niche as a freelancer is obviously going to help. But I'd like to discuss that with you a bit later. The, the, then you have like in-house marketers, social media managers in non-native speaking countries where the only choice is to hire, you know, a, a Lebanese writer in, in Lebanon to do their English writing for, I don't know, some restaurant franchise or whatever. So there's obviously that as well. And I speak to many of those people. Then you've got advertising, which is most of the people, the copywriters who I mostly help. And if you're at a global advertising agency, then you've got, then it's the international language and you're an advertising copywriter. You still have to write in English again, because there aren't many native speaking copywriters in that country to work for that advertising agency. Okay. So it's the same principle, just only a bit larger. And then last, lastly, there are great conceptors, great idea people who, who win awards and accolades, and they eventually work in English speaking countries based off the, just, the, just the talent, yeah, of, in, you know, in terms of advertising, where they'll be working in Sao Paulo in Brazil, and then they'll find themselves immediately working in Amsterdam, an extremely highly proficient country in terms of the English. And they, and they will have to, they've got these great ideas, but, 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 but they have to contend with writing their ideas in a second language. So this is why a lot of my clientele are South Americans working in Europe because they have that exact same problem. They are extremely clever and talented and creative that they, you know, that they're writing in English. So, so there you go. So, that, so that's the whole kind of panoply of, of second language copywriters and why they would be writing in English. That is amazing. That's a lot of information. And that's exactly what I wanted to know. I just wasn't aware of like all the different scenarios of why a copywriter, you know, is trying to get into this market. And something I thought about when you were talking is like, that's why I became an ESL instructor was because I was living in New York, which is, you know, obviously the melting pot, as they say. And I thought to myself, there's these smart people who were 
in really prestigious job roles within their home countries. And then they come here and obviously, you know, their degree doesn't transfer or whatever. And they're, they're doing, you know, jobs that they did not get an education for. And it, it, it's crazy to meet these highly intelligent people, but knowing this one barrier is holding them back, which is the ability to communicate. And something about that really compelled me to be an instructor because there's something about people who have something to say, but can't say it that like pulls at my heartstrings and like makes Mm -hmm. me like, I just can't imagine that vulnerability and, and being in a foreign country and knowing that you have something to express and you can't express it. And what's interesting about what you're saying too, with, you know, okay, let's say you are uh, a Swedish copywriter and, and maybe you're working with a Swedish company I'm in tech, I'm a tech copywriter. So the US isn't necessarily the only place anymore where innovative tech companies are coming out of. There's a lot of really smart Israeli companies. A lot of US tech companies have offices opening up overseas. So I see a lot of opportunity there. And especially with SEO, something that's trending in my industry is that it is getting harder and harder to rank with SEO. The algorithm and uh, what Google is doing is constantly evolving to become smarter and writing web entire websites and content in a different language is actually a competitive strategy for these SEO, for people who are trying to achieve SEO. They know that they are reaching global markets and they know that having copy in other languages is going to help them be more competitive. So that's Mm -hmm. actually, I think for any of my writers who are listening and are looking for different angles and looking for different things to propose to their clients, keep these strategies in mind. And I think the way you just laid out the market is it illuminates a lot of opportunity, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, what you said is, 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 uh, you know, enlightened me in in turn, you know, I've that, that is interesting to me. what you said, uh, absolutely. And I can see, you know, I can see us connecting the dots a bit there. Yeah. 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 So what are the most common signs that copy was written by an ESL copywriter and why? Okay. So this is a really good question. I'm really, really glad that we're going to talk about this. So I can tell pretty quickly that the writer wasn't native most of the time. Okay. And of course you get some really good people, you know, you put, you do get you get non-natives who who could who probably have a larger vocabulary than me and etc. But it's more of a structural issue. But I'll start with, well, okay, I'll go I'll go back a bit. There, there are four, okay, there are four big areas that I've definitely you know noticed. The first one is is the vocabulary, okay. So the giveaway number one is is the formal vocabulary. So the education system in in non-English speaking countries want you to sound like a professional. They don't really want you to sound conversational. You know, the the advent of international English and business English has created this endemic of academia in most English classrooms around the world. And this very easily slips into the kind of the native, the non-natives copy, often when, you know, when they're writing. And this is most definitely evident in the verbiage that they use. So they'll choose the formal verb rather than the more playful and conversational verb. Because if you think about it, for every verb that there is, 
there's probably about five other alternatives that are far more easygoing, far more conversational, far more, you know, free, more relaxed. And it's these academic verbs that immediately, you know, broadcast that this is someone who hasn't been in a pub chatting naturally for 20 years. Okay. So for example, you know, you could say that, you know, with our services, we can heighten the experience of your customers so that X, Y, native would say, no, no, forget heighten. We can amp up, pep up, liven up, perk up, fire up. Okay. All these different ways to, to really just get that kind of sassy, fun drive. Yeah. And this is the most, the verb is like the most important part of the sentence because it's, it's the center point for everything. Everything hangs off this verb in English. And your center point is this formal academic construction that is in a way, you know, closing off the opportunity to kind of have fun. So that the first thing I would say is that it's definitely the formal vocabulary. And I've done many polls about this on LinkedIn where I've asked this question many a times, what are the biggest giveaways? And that's one, any, any, do you want to ask anything about, about, about that before I go to the next one? No, I'm not a question, but just this was my, as an ESL instructor, uh, my whole job was to get ESL learners to be conversational, to open their mouths and speak and, and make those mistakes because this is the craziest thing. I don't speak any other language other than English. So the number one question I got as an ESL instructor was, wait, you teach English, but you don't speak their language? And the answer is no, because I didn't need to speak their language. I'm more a facilitator of them practicing a language versus teaching them English. And the most embarrassing thing for me as an instructor was that all of my Asian and South American students knew English grammar better than me. Okay. Mm. And I have a bachelor's degree in English literature. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's not that I can't speak English. It's that when you learn natively, you don't remember any grammar rules because it becomes second nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sounding conversational is the number one challenge for ESL learners because they learned most of the time, very strict grammar rules and to not break those rules. Copywriting is a lot about breaking those rules to build trust and sound conversational. And then you throw in certain cultural differences. So for example, my majority of my students were Asian, specifically Japanese, and they were brought up in a culture where you did not question the teacher. You did not talk out of turn and you did not you know, you respect the teacher and you stay quiet. So imagine mm -hmm. me getting in this classroom with a bunch of Asians and I'm like, you got to talk, 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 speak up. And they're like, they're, they were mm -hmm. just the shyness and the, the, the reservedness. So that was yeah. a big challenge. And yeah. one more point, I don't want to derail you, but this funny thing with English is the nuances. Like I know somebody you know, by certain dialect, like for example, like you and I speak the same language, we're both native speakers, but mm -hmm. you say certain things that in America, we wouldn't say. So when you said pub, I was like, we don't say that, we say bar. And yeah, something yeah. that Australians and English people, meaning, you know, people from the UK, this XYZ thing, 
we don't <laughs> yeah. ever say that so it's only in listening to to other western native speakers yeah. that i'm like oh that's not it and when i was learning to uh, teach esl we taught out of british english books and yeah. I would have to always nuance and say, and by the way, guys, Americans don't say this. We don't right. spell this word like this. Like, don't you guys mm. say check with a Q U or is that, is yeah. that like I- Ireland? Yeah. <laughs> so imagine yeah. like as a non-native speaker, you're like, wait, so this is real English, but not real English in America versus the UK. It's so confusing. I just wanted to put that yeah. out there, but yeah. keep going. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, just just before I move on, yeah, like the yeah, the grammar differences are actually fairly slight. There, there aren't huge grammar differences between America and, and the US, but but there are quite substantial uh, differences in in vocabulary, which you know we can get into that in a bit. But it's there are lots of differences, you know. Yeah. So so yeah, the the second giveaway that I've noticed is is what you were kind of you know gleaning at in your last point, which is sentence structuring. Now, I've, I've worked with, you know, copywriters from immensely proficient countries like, you know, Norway, Denmark, the Netherlands, Germany, okay, places where English is so high, but, but, but there are these things, these tiny little things that they just didn't know about, and I'm like, it just, and this isn't like, you know, the way that natives even speak. We're not talking about that yet. I'm talking about structural foundational parts of subject, verb, object, that they just didn't know how to twist and turn into, into a different accent, if you will. Okay. And I'm always surprised to find that there are these things that a native doesn't know that they know about, or doesn't know that they do, which aren't wrong at all, but that the non-native in a highly proficient country cannot just doesn't do and isn't aware of so that's that's the first thing the second thing about sentence structure is that at schools they of course they don't teach you spoken grammar because like well why what's the point you know why why should i learn how to write how people speak it's just like no again they'll teach you to be professional right uh, they'll teach you grammarly grammar not spoken grammar at a school so a non-native is obviously very blind. Most of them are quite blind to the way that a native will break the rules and twist and manipulate them. And some non-natives will pick up on these things and they'll subconsciously think when they write copy that, oh, I think I should write it this way. I think I, I think I should write it like this. And then Grammy says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And they're like, oh, oh, I won't, I won't, I won't. I won't write it that way then. And it's like, oh, and in a way that's such a tragedy because they knew it, they, they, they were about to do it, but then, and I don't blame, and I don't blame someone in that situation because there is this confidence that, that or this slight lack of confidence and, and, and that's where it can you know, get in the way. So I can tell when a, a non-native is written copy by the very proper sentences with the right punctuation and the right conjunction all in the active voice. I'm like, boring, boring, because it's like, it's the predictable way, okay? Grammarly says, stay active. Uh, Grammarly doesn't tell you to throw in loads of punctuation marks or periods where they're not warranted, where they're not allowed. So that's another thing. So, So I will say this, that people actually are more passive in the way that they speak than you'd like to imagine. 
You know, they break sentences up before stops. Americans actually take the long way around to, to get to the final word of a sentence when they speak. You know, Americans cleft structures. They, they break sentences at half and they extend them. Like, that's what I wanted to say is that I really feel that was true. You know, it's like this really long clefting with that's and it's and what's all binding together to create these super long structures. And I, trust me, I've sat and listened to hours and hours and hours of podcasts and I've made my notes and I've done my homework. I'm telling you, that's how Americans will speak. And Brits will also speak in that tone as well. This kind of consistent, always moving strings of words. So related to this point is this idea of code switching. Have you heard of code switching before? No. So code switching is this tendency to use your first language grammar on top of your English. Okay, so you're writing, you're writing copy in, let's say, with Dutch grammar, but with English words. Okay, that for makes example. Sense. So, so this is like a huge problem. And this is a, people keep saying code switching to me. And I was like, code switching, what's that? So recently I found out what it, what, what it was. And yeah, there's this tendency to, to do that. I was speaking to a South African copywriter yesterday. So this is a copywriter who's been following my work and has been enjoying my content. And even though that she's, she's technically a native speaker because she's South African, she said to me, I just had to reach out to you because because in my country, we have Afrikaans and we have English and we have all of these, these languages side to side. And I've been in situations where I'm moving between different grammar structures on a daily basis. OK, so so when it comes to writing, you know, just getting it down, it's like it, 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 it's, it, it, you know, it is reflected in their writing where they start writing sentences and they're shifting from English to Afrikaans grammar constantly. And you can tell this in some in some sense. And I also spoke to a, a Portuguese advertising copywriter who writes 80% of his copy in Portuguese, 20% in English. So you can imagine, you know, being 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 a copywriter, when you get to write in English, you've got Portuguese just in your body, just like you've got the grammar structures literally at the tip of your hand with your pen, and you're writing in English, and you're like, you're trying to stop yourself. Yeah. So that would be the second thing. So, so, so far, the giveaways are formal vocabulary and uh, sentence structuring. Uh, do you want to, anything you want to say about, about that one? Just the Grammarly, because I, I work in Grammarly pretty much every time I write. I run it through that software, and I notice even I had to self-correct and be like, whoa, 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 just because they're suggesting that does not mean I need to take their recommendation, because it can make you sound overly formal, which is not what you want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something I'm thinking about too, just on the confidence front is that, so I, on top of being a copywriter, I also work as a content marketer and I hire teams of writers. So I'm very, you know, I know what it's like to scan somebody's portfolio, to hop on a call with a writer. And one thing I want to say to ESL copywriters from a confidence standpoint is that what a client really cares about is your knowledge. So all the examples you were giving me before, Nick, about, you know, being really knowledgeable in an industry and having your dominant language be something else, it doesn't negate what you know about the audience you're writing for. If you can empathize and connect with the person who will be reading, that is more important than grammar. 
Mm -hmm. That is more important than writing perfectly in English. Know that your work is going to be edited multiple times. If you're working for a decent company anyway, they should really be crafting and molding that piece significantly. But they needed somebody to do, I would say, the grunt work of getting the ideas and words on the paper, and then you can mold it. And I think a lot of writers think that they're going to be so harshly judged about, oh, this needs to sound perfect and needs to be completely correct. When in reality, guys, a lot of English speakers, I'm going to make the same corrections to their work that I would make for an ESL learner. I'm still going to tell an English learner that they sound too academic and formal as well. We do it too, especially if you know, these people who like myself were writing academic papers in college and are needing to shed that academic writing style. It is a challenge like every day to, to write more conversationally, to dumb down the words. That was the biggest thing for me was, oh, I I don't need to use the word that I would have opted for. I need to actually write for sixth or seventh grade level because that's how people read on the internet. So it's kind of like this false sense of insecurity or imposter syndrome that ESL learners are feeling because actually Mm -hmm. native speakers struggle with the same thing. So go after the opportunity, I would say. Yeah. 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 Cause there's an, there's an editor for, for, for everyone. And I think the, the, the goal behind, you know, enhancing your English for copywriting is, is just so that you can spend less time with an editor. Yeah. So you can, so there doesn't have to be so much editing involved but absolutely it's it's a huge thing to to bring your writing back and remember what is actually important in terms of connection with your reader and usually the formal route is is less advised in most contexts so so yeah so the third giveaway and i i don't even have to explain why with this one is prepositions okay and i could just leave it there because every every esl copyright would be like prepositions you know doesn't make sense doesn't make sense and it doesn't make sense sorry you just have to get used to it because yeah okay that there's there's a rule system for you know a general rule system for prepositions but it's not so cut and dry as that you know you're gonna there are going to be exceptions and you'll be have to be constantly reminded about these slight exceptions and they are confusing um, especially because we add prepositions to verbs to create phrasal verbs it just creates this or prepositional phrasal verbs it creates the this this huge you know well it's just highly complex to try and figure out the right the right word in the right context so so yeah prepositions is, is the third one the third one the fourth one is just cultural connotations the, the associations that we have for particular phrases and idioms and expressions you often find that they have been integrated into the copy in in a way that just doesn't seem right for that context. So we have associations with certain phrases and we know when they're not being used in exactly the correct way. And that just takes a bit more of a cultural understanding of of why certain combinations of words are gonna be used in particular contexts. So that those are my four biggest giveaways. We have formal vocabulary, formal sentence structures, prepositions, and cultural connotations, okay? And I don't think there's anything else, okay? And, and I've, I've done this for long enough to probably figure this out. Obviously, there are 
knowing the culture is generally important, but that kind of comes into number four. So, yeah. So that leads me to my next question. So we know now things to watch out for so that our writing doesn't get flagged, but what are the best strategies for ESL copywriters to be able to build that trust with clients and actually compete with native speakers on the international market? Cool. So this is probably you know the most important question because it's the thing that will allow the copywriter to actually make make a living and get consistent work and to open doors. And the first thing is find a niche. For God's sake, find a niche. If you're a freelancer, find a niche. Okay, because why why be a copywriting doctor when you can be a copywriting surgeon? The surgeon earns more money than the doctor because the surgeon gets to the heart of the issue and fixes it. You know, they are specialists. I was a generalist English teacher and I became a specialist. Okay. And it, it's, it's really helped me and it would help you too. And, you know, I, I, I'm on LinkedIn often. That's where I do most, where I produce most content. And I, you know, and I've gone through the whole process of, you know, uh, building a brand and creating a niche for, for who I am. And I see, I see non-natives who have a headline that says copywriter or copywriter, marketer, just, just, just like, you know, three words. And I literally want to cry because I'm like, you don't understand what you're missing. Okay. Because by having a niche, you immediately position yourself in a situation where you have, you know, conveyed high value, you know, about a particular subject and people can trust you. Okay. Because if you think about it, is a tech company going to hire a native generalist or a non-native tech writer. I mean, surely they're going to tilt in the favor of the non-native tech writer and you'll get more money because you're a specialist. You know the vocabulary, you know the market, you know the brand. And I know that this is something that you've been a huge advocate of and I'm a huge advocate of. So I'm just trying to echo what you've been saying throughout your, your, your career. So you can give me your thoughts about this, obviously, because that's, that's, I'd love to hear your views on that. But to do this, you have to ask yourself, well, what do I enjoy? Okay. What are my strengths? What are my abilities? What interests me? And then you just hone in on that area of weakness in the market that, that needs you. Okay. And it just, it just gives you this sense of great purpose. Yeah. I'm a copywriter for the health industry. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to solve this specific problem. And it really, it really gives you something worth fighting for and worth pursuing. And it really gives you something to, to, you know, it gives you a call to action, you know, that, that you can, have a more defined journey in, in, in your, in your, as a writer. So, so yeah, that's my, it, that's my first bit of advice, but I'd love to hear what you think. It gives you a path. Like that's the biggest thing. And if you're trying to go from zero to, to, you know, freelancing and making a full-time income as a writer, having that path and knowing, Oh, I only target health and wellness companies you will make gains so much faster. You will get ahead so much faster. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation because there are so many people who do what I do. They mentor freelance writers and they say, don't worry about a niche, make yourself open to any opportunity in the beginning. And I understand the thought process. I understand why that sounds true. But I genuinely cannot understand why anyone would take that approach when 
having a specialty gives you, like you said, so much authority. And I can just say from a hiring perspective, as someone who's been on the other side, who actually hires writers, I would much rather see a non-native whose portfolio has three articles written for a CRM company versus a native speaker who's been a journalist and written for magazines and do all that. Like I see these portfolios and they actually have like print portfolio pieces that they were published in like better homes and gardens magazine, but they're, <laughs> they're applying for a writing position. And I'm like, I understand that you were able to write in general, but everyone at this point is able to write in general. So I need someone with a specialized knowledge. It's not about writing anymore. That's the biggest misconception in this industry of copywriting is that this is about writing words. Writing is a commodity. And that's why AI, if you're worried about AI coming and taking jobs, be worried about that because actually AI is writing subject lines and articles, very crude articles that are going to need a human anyway, but regardless, they're doing the writing. What the AI can't do right now and in the foreseeable future is know what you know and be able to be that fly on the wall and say, I know how people sound in a conversation. I know how to make this writing sound natural. The robot cannot do that. So I know that's a tangent, but niching is so powerful. And to this day, I still see people saying, do not do it. And it just drives me insane. But hey, you can take me and Nick's advice or not. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And like, you know, we we, we both niched up, as, as they say. And, and yeah, just, just, just things really, it just really does help the process. People can, it builds your brand. People can immediately associate you with, with, a certain persona and you become the first person that they think of when they want to solve an actual problem a generalist a general generalist doesn't solve problems they say well here are the, this is the kind of you know this is this is what you know you could do and these are the kinds of things these are the areas that you need to explore but it doesn't actually fix the problem okay and people have problems that they need to fix and by being a niche copywriter you can fix it so you can actually charge more and, and yeah, so uh, I couldn't recommend it enough, really. So cool. So the, the, the second thing that I would also then, so the first thing is to find a niche. The second thing is to obviously learn the English. Okay. So you have to have a distinct native voice in your copywriting to compete with native English copywriters. And this is regardless of whether, you know, you're in marketing, advertising, brand strategy, but you, you cannot begin any international journey without knowing how to reflect the voice of your marketplace. And, you know, some non-natives, you know, may say things like, you know, well, I, I know English is important, but I, I think that learning copywriting is the priority. I'm like, no, no, stop saying that for God's sake. Stop saying that. This, this idea that, oh, well, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll read my grammar books, I'll read Practical Usage by Michael Swan, and I'll look at Grammarly, and, but I need to learn, I need to go to Miami Ad School, I need to, like, you know, do these certain things, and I'm like, no, you have to, they, they feed off each other, they are literally one thing, okay, they are, they are entwined in everything that you write in English, there's the, there's the copywriting techniques, 
the formatting, the way that you, you know, might position centers, but then there's the language, there's the actual words. Okay, so, so, so that's obviously very, very important because you may, you know, you may become an expert in your particular field. You may become like a really good person who, who can be relied upon to write for tech. But if you can't string these words together with the right prepositions, then it's like, well, what's the point? You know, you, you, you found these amazing words, but you can't connect them in the right way. It kind of defeats the objects. So they always have to be, this problem has to be addressed in tandem. It really, it really does. There has to be an equal pursuit with those. And yeah, you don't want, you know, and again, you don't want Grammarly to create this overly clean English for you. That's, you know, more fit for a CV, you know, rather than a, a case study or something. Um, so they both go hand in hand. So that would be that would be the, the second thing. And obviously how you would do that is actually to, to understand the skills for English copywriting, not the entire English language. Stop looking at English books. OK, you need to go specific. You need to understand the particular verbiage and the particular sentence structuring and tones of voice that are right for copywriting. Okay, so that would be the thing. And to learn it in a way that not only helps you to remember it, but also embody it so that you can sit down and just forget that you're writing in English. Okay, so that would be the second thing is to, is to learn the English. And the third thing would be to actually build a community, an online community uh, on LinkedIn, preferably if you're a niche copywriter. And Facebook, I would say, at this point in time. But you have to engage with LinkedIn with the correct inputs. I've been getting clients off LinkedIn primarily for, for about a year, year and a half. And I've I've done every approach. I've done pushing, I've done pulling, <laughs> I've done, you know, a cold approach, soft passive approach, however you want to call it. The thing right now is to find that niche and to consistently create good content for, for the online sphere and to make connections and to build a following, build a community, okay? Cold approaching is, is obviously good. And I've, I've obviously, you know, found clients using, using that, that, that as well. But alongside this, there always has to be this development of a community where you could be looked at as a pioneer of your niche and people can, you can become a thought leader in your community as a copywriter. And you again become the first people that people think of when they want a problem to be fixed. You want to start conversations with people. You just want to have fun a bit. You don't want to look at everyone online as a potential as a potential customer. You want or prospect. You want to look at them as as someone in your network. And if you and if you love if if you love first, you'll make you'll make money second if if you do what you do for the love and you generally reflect that love for the people online the business will come and trust me because i've, I've been there and I, i've done it and i know that the business does come if you love first so general tips about how to do that first of all you've got to post at least four times a week maybe five times a week just don't post you know, recommending your discovery calls, your strategy sessions, your free 30 minutes, just stop doing it. Stop doing, people don't care. People don't care about that. They don't want to know, okay? And not unless you've actually, sorry to break it to you, but not unless you've actually built this relationship with them. It's like, you know, sometimes it works, okay? 
it's sometimes sometimes posting that does does work you come across the right people at the right time and it's like yes you're the guy or, or girl i need you to help me okay but for there to be an roi for your time you've got to be consistent and generate this kind of community of people and i think that 99 of the time people aren't going to react as well on linkedin anyway i think to a kind of salesy kind of post okay because what you want to ask yourself is would i react to this message would i would i want to would i reach out with the message that this person's no how am i <laughs> i'm not explaining this very well would i react well to this sales post that i've written if i saw it okay and you should definitely write them if you think that it's going to work but you always have to ask these questions so i've mentioned that it's all about community building so build your community have fun learn be someone who's willing to learn from other people turn up for other people and they will turn up for you in terms of in terms of your content all under the umbrella of being a thought leader with a niche and you know you want to comment on large accounts you want to to know how to you want to know what to do when when a prospect is warm and know how to take that kind of further so because in a sense you know it is also about that whole strategy which is probably another podcast conversation perhaps but uh, that that is how i would do it it's what i it's what i'm doing you know with my niche which is copywriters who are using this as a second language so you want to love love the world and people and what you create and what you do for a living and show that love with well written content and engage with, engage with other people and build a community and then the business does come so it's in that order christine i i i do believe that if you're going to compete you want to you want to find the niche you want to learn the english and you want to build the community and practice your your sales and etc and lastly i would just say that you know stop pretending that there's an incurable problem when there actually isn't because in a sense that being a non native it, it it's a numbers a numbers game in in a sense because an nba player misses the hoop many 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 times before he or she becomes a pro and even if they're shorter people they still made more money than the taller people they just threw the ball constantly until they got it and it's the same analogy for being a non native in a sense you will think okay well i don't have the instinctual way of reacting and reflecting the natural tones of voice in english but if i throw the ball a bit more often your consistency will win not not someone's birth certificate at the end of the day so that that's that's my that's my tips for for that question yeah i want to underscore three really important things that you said which is choosing a niche is going to make the learning curve so much shorter because imagine having to learn jargon in one industry or lingo in one industry versus several so for me there's very specific tech words that even english speakers outside this industry they don't mean jack to them so i'm you know able to work with clients high paying clients and work really quickly because i'm using the same terminology throughout my mm. clients even if they'd sell different products because i know mm. the language of a tech buyer mm. and then what you were saying before about creating posts that are non salesy something that i teach in my course is to read your messages or your posts through a lens of what's in it for me 
literally you can mm-hmm. abbreviate it W I I F M. And mm-hmm. you have to understand that as we read anything, we, just as humans, our instinct is to wonder, well, why should I care about this? And if it's mm-hmm. overly promotional towards yourself, it doesn't capture attention. So when writers cold pitch me, the biggest mistake I see is that they'll say, I'm a copywriter and I want to work for you. It's like, well, I don't care what you want. You need (laughs) to exemplify the services that you're going to offer to me and why your background relates to what my needs and problems are. So it's a reframe of saying, okay, before I send this message, like you said, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Mm. Are you touching on pain points that they have in your message? Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's a numbers game, like you said, and even for English speakers, guys, I say this all the time. This is a numbers game, if, especially if you're starting from scratch. And there's a lot of confusion because other copywriting mentors will be like, you have to network and get referrals and do this and that. And for people who are just starting out from scratch, it is going to be a numbers game of just trial and error, trying, 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 facing rejection. And that was the one thing I had going for me is that my career before copywriting was in sales. So I was desensitized to rejection, but nowadays, especially like I'm convinced the more I think about just like life in general, the people Mm -hmm. who are the most comfortable with rejection are the people who succeed. And I think like now more than ever, we are in a society that is not, they don't want to try because they're so afraid of rejection. Like I was listening to this podcast and they were saying that like only a third of the amount of people are getting married today that used to get married or, and people aren't even falling in love anymore because people are so afraid of rejection and putting their, I don't know what has happened. I I don't know if it's because the internet or what, what it is, maybe people, I don't know, but you have to be the person who shoots their shot. And that's with anything in life, like with dating, with jobs, try, get rejected and get right back up and try again. Mm-hmm. Rejection, yeah, absolutely. It does It does get easier. You know, I did, you know, I, I don't come from a sales background. I've, I've been taught sales more recently in my life. But at the beginning, it was like, I was, it was like petrifying getting someone on a call and doing that. But like, I got rejected the, the other day, you know, I, I get, I, you know, sometimes I've had a few rejection calls in terms of, you know, not, not getting the new customers, you know, it, it happens, it does happen. And it's, it's strange. I just think I look back and you, you just, you just learn to, to deal with the rejection just so much better you know, a year after, if you just consistently open yourself up for that rejection, it's going to happen. It's part of life. You have to accept that. But, you know, if you don't, if, if you don't try, then, you know, you will, you, then there won't be much success. So absolutely, absolutely agree. So let's, let's do the last question. Top tips for learning to sound like a native speaker. Cool. So it's, it takes a lot of, if you're pursuing it on your own, it, it will take a lot of work. Okay. There are, there are things you can do. Some of them you're not going to like to hear when I tell you what they are, but it's going to be quite, it's going to be quite like, Oh, I've got to do that. Really? God. 
okay? Because what I'm about to suggest, you will find difficult. You'll probably get bored and you, you know, it, it will be like, oh, okay, great. Got to do this thing for half an hour. But there's a technique that I learned about from the AWAI. Maybe you know about it, but the technique is called copywriting osmosis. And it's essentially taking great pieces of high-performing copy. Okay, it could be bottom-of-the-line copy. It could be above-the-line, whatever. And just getting a pen and just writing it out. Just write it out, word from word, constantly. Okay, just keep, keep on writing. Write it, write it down on a piece of paper 10 times and put it in a drawer. Come back tomorrow and spend half an hour doing exactly the same thing. And it does help to help you to embody the, the certain structures that natives have used in the past in copy that has been successful. It's not pleasant. It doesn't sound pleasant to, to anyone, but it will definitely help a non-native, okay? Because the problem a non-native might have is they, they don't know how to start the sentence in the most natural way. And if they don't start the sentence in the most natural, natural way, everything else becomes unnatural. But if they've somehow learned an imprint that will allow them to start in the right, in the right tone and the right way, it creates the more com comfortable, natural structure for the native reader that does reflect the sound of their own voice. It's called copywriting as osmosis. You get a piece of paper. Don't use laptops. Don't use computers. Get a pen out, okay? <laughs> Old fashioned. Paper, write it down constantly, over and over again. 20 minutes a day, okay? I think you'll be surprised what happens in, in, six, in six months. That's, a, that, that's one thing you can do. The second thing you can do is stop watching Netflix and listen to discussion podcasts, okay? And put the subtitles on, okay? And, and look at what's happening in the subtitles. So when you listen to discussion podcasts, the good thing is that you've got people sitting down and they're having a natural conversation. It's not, it's not scripted, it's not enforced, it's not, it's not journalistic, it's not, it's not academia, none of it's scripted. It is very fluid, fluid conversation. And I want you to have the podcast on one screen and have a, P and have a Google Doc on the next screen and pause it and notice strange things that you say, well, I wouldn't say that, why are they saying that? put it on a piece of paper and write down maybe what you would have said instead and, and perhaps build some kind of swipe file. That's, that, that's something that I recommend. Again, it takes time, but it's, it is really is about building a, a resource where you will have lots of vocabulary and phrases and, sent and sentence structures uh, available that have actually been used and you can feel comfortable using them. So relating to the biggest giveaways question, Look for phrasal verbs, look for sentence structures, yes, that are slightly odd to you as a second language copywriter. So that would be the second thing. The third thing would be to actually, if you're going to prioritize any aspect of the English language, focus on verbs and focus on prepositions. Who cares about adjectives? Who cares about nouns? You know, you'll learn them anyway. There's only one noun for light. There's only one noun for window. If you're a niche copywriter, you'll be learning the vocabulary of your chosen field anyway. But if you really want to have that, the heart and soul of, of a native speaker, you've got to focus on the center point, which is the verb and the preposition, the thing that connects. Who wants an adjective anyway? They just get in the way. They just get in the way of everything. So 
that should be your priority. Stop looking, stop casting your net too wide over all the different words and focus in on the, on the most important words, which is verbs and prepositions. And like I said, build, build a swipe file, build something that has all this information that you can refer to and understand the culture, know how to reflect the culture in your work, make a list of cultural references, look up things that you, you're not familiar with, that you hear about in the podcasts and you know Wikipedia them or Google them and just build that familiarity, make it a daily practice. So those are four things. And of course, you can get a native English coach who's done his homework, you know, can actually help you officially and focus in on the actual English that you actually need, who can say, well, these are the structures and these are the words which are built for copywriting that are also natural. And to kind of know what that, be taught what that is, and in a way that can help you embody it so it becomes a natural instinct rather than something that you have to remember and just be free. So those are my, those are my tips. Yeah. I love the podcast one because that's something you can put your headphones in and do chores and cook and clean, whatever, go for a walk, go to the gym. And you have the mm-hmm. opportunity to be like a fly on the wall in an mm-hmm. English, you know, conversation that's directly related to whatever you're trying to learn. If you want to be yeah. a, a technology copywriter, there's hundreds of tech copywriter, you know, or tech podcast of two people in that industry just talking and the old school ESL thing that everyone used to harp on was go watch movies, watch movies in English. Mm. And you're right. It's, that is a script. It is like, we often laugh at how unnatural certain things are in shows and movies. Like no one says that no one does Mm. that. No one would say that at that moment. So your best bet really is like a back and forth conversation and it's so accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's all it's all free. It's there. It's all on YouTube. YouTube is your is your friend with with this pursuit, because as you say, you know, just just have fun and watch Netflix. Don't make it an English lesson, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, it's like just have fun. Just sit down. Just have have have, have a pint of beer and just chill out. Yeah, yeah? you'll you'll forget you'll forget it all anyway, yeah. won't you? Because you know, because when you actually when you actually enjoy something. You're not going to remember it. And I know this, I've done polls about, you know, how quickly do you actually remember words when you hear them for the first time? Even if you were watching Netflix and then you heard a new word and you looked in the dictionary, you'd still probably forget it in in a couple months. But if you're actually looking and you're intentfully watching and finding these words and you're writing them down and you're analyzing them, you're going to remember them. Well, at least far greater than you would otherwise. Just enjoy Netflix, just watch Squid Games and just have a laugh. You don't have to like make it this like, this English lesson because then you can't just chill out, can you? You can't just have fun. So, so yeah, they're not the best reflection of reality, but they're good, for, they're, but they are good cultural references. You know, memes are also very good, obviously very, very good, very important. Look at, look at the comment sections of, of things like Reddit and YouTube. That's going to be very useful to see how people speak when they're kind of, riffing with each other, yes, in the comments, is also quite insightful, I would say. So yeah, I think that that's really it, I suppose, so. Yeah, and the comment section for copywriters, whether you are native or not, is how we actually learn industry lingo and jargon and understanding how people in our industry talk about their problems. Because if you're, especially for tech, 
we are selling software and we want to talk about the features of this software when in reality, the audience is not Googling the name of your feature. They're Googling what their problem is. So as copywriters, we often have to look at comments and threads and forums and places where people are speaking to learn that. So that's not just native. Just know that in copywriting, that's a research strategy that we that we deploy so wow this has been such a great conversation nick you've really like illuminated a lot about just the esl copywriting industry and you have so many like tangible like strategic ways that copywriters can actually improve which i love i would never be able to offer that insight so i'm so excited to push this conversation out tell my audience more about where they can find you and how they can work with you Sure. So I currently run a online ESL copywriting program. I coach one-on-one or group, which is, and I do this for both marketing copywriters and advertising copywriters. So that's something that I offer. So by all means, reach out if, if you want to take your English to the next level and have someone who can hold you accountable. Do you think it's very, very important? By all means, if you want some content, please join my Facebook group, the ESL Copywriter Network where you'll find lots of free content that will just help you sound more native and do 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 connect with me on LinkedIn where you'll find loads and loads of free content and uh, I'd love to bring you into my own network so that we can continue the conversation together and that's so that I can be there to answer any other questions you're going to have in the future my hashtag is the English coach for copywriters you should find that on LinkedIn to find all my recent posts Uh, perfect wonderful Do you want to start landing high paying freelance writing clients on LinkedIn? I have a free guide for you at paidcopywriter.com. Just go to paidcopywriter.com and go to the free download section. The link is paidcopywriter.com slash LinkedIn guide if that's easier for you, but it's a free download that's going to show you step by step the steps. Wow, that's a lot of steps. Step by step the steps. step-by-steps, a roadmap for how to use LinkedIn and get yourself properly set up on that platform so you can begin confidently reaching out to your ideal clients and build the freelance business that you've been wanting to build, becoming self-employed, becoming a person who gets paid to write for a living. Download that at paidcopywriter.com slash LinkedIn guide, and I look forward to seeing you there. Bye.